This morning I'd like to uh, turn to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 17. I'm going to read uh, verse 1 through 10. It's going to be a very, very familiar passage of Scripture. Uh, we've looked at quite often here lately. It's the, uh, the part of Goliath challenging the, uh, the Hebrew children. So it says, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle, and were gathered together at Sokal, which, be, uh, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shaho and Azekah in Ephes Danim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah, and they set the battle array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side. And there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath whose height was six cubits in a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass, and he had great uh, greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of the Lord, and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am I not a Philistine? And ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for to, choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will you be your servant. We will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. I would like to uh, speak to us this morning on this thought uh, based off of Goliath's challenge of give me a man, and I would like to speak to us on who will answer the call. Jesus, I thank you, Lord. Jesus, speak through us, through me today. Speak to us, speak to our hearts, our minds, and souls. Let your word go forth and fall on good ground. Oh, give me wisdom and boldness to speak your word. Speak through me today that I may be a vessel that you use, that your glory be magnified in this place. In Jesus' name I pray. I thank you for it and I give you the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. The story of David and Goliath is very familiar to us all. Uh, I apologize for being emotional, but God has been working on me with this. Um, the, the story of David and Goliath is very familiar to us. But uh, usually we, we look at the story of David and Goliath as Israelites on one side, Philistines on the other. David comes, 
and uh, goes against the Goliath in the name of the Lord and defeats him. But this morning, I would like to step way back and look at this this story in, in more of an entirety. And so I'm going to go back to the beginning of the book of Samuel. In the beginning of the book of Samuel, we, we start off, we see almost a classic Israeli story. <laughs> I mean, it, it, from the beginning, you, you had um, Jacob that married Leah and Rachel, and Leah was having kids. Rachel was not, even though Rachel was more favored by Jacob. We see this almost an identical situation where we have a husband with two wives. One wife is having kids, being prosperous. The second wife is loved, but she's barren. And every single year, the Bible tells us that, uh, speaking of which, her name was Hannah. (laughs) Hannah walks in. Um, Every single year that Hannah went to the temple with her husband and her counterpart, um, her counterpart, the Bible says, would, would come against her and mock her because, hey, I'm being successful. I'm having heritage coming from me, but, but you, you're, you're nothing. You're, you're, you're dying where you are, and this grieved Hannah deeply, and she, she fasted, and she sought after God, and, and she, the Bible says she was so sorrowful in her spirit, seeking after God, that Eli, the prophet, or the high priest at that time, came across her, and he thought she was drunk because her mouth was mumbling, but there were no words coming out of her, and he, he rebukes her for being drunk, and she says, no, I'm not drunk. I'm sorrow of spirit, and she tells the desires of her heart to Eli, and as time goes by, God fulfills Hannah's request, but Hannah says, if you give me a man-child, if you give me a son, I am going to give him back to the Lord all the days of his life. And so we see as time progresses, Hannah conceives. She weans Samuel, this young baby boy. And as true to her word, she gives Samuel back to God. Now, I'm going to uh, do a sidestep here. I'm, speak, I'm not speaking on tithing and offering this morning. That's not where I'm going, but I want to make m- mention Hannah gave her first fruits to God. And God blessed Hannah with three more sons and two daughters. If you give your first fruits to God, he will bless you. I'm telling you on it. I'm telling you. So, now the story really begins. Here we have Samuel. He's clothed with a linen ephod. Uh, The Bible tells us that every single day that, I mean, every single year that um, Hannah would come up to visit the temple, 
um, she would have sewn a new coat for Samuel to wear as he grew bigger. Now we know that Eli is the high priest. He's the one that Samuel is growing up under, and almost to a point, Eli is Samuel's dad now. He's not his biological father, but he is the man in Eli's life, I mean, in Samuel's life. Eli has two sons of his own that are much older than Samuel, named Hophni and Phinehas. Hophni and Phinehas are to be the ones that take up judging Israel once Eli passes or gets to an age that he no longer can function as the judge of Israel. However, we see that Hophni and Phinehas, they are abusing the position of the Lord. They're abusing where God has put them. They are taking advantage of the Israeli people. They are sinning immorally um, at the gates. And a prophecy goes forth to Eli. Um, The Bible says that a man of God comes to Eli, the high priest, and says, hey, your sons are sinning, and God's going to cut your your line off. It's ending. And God's going to raise up someone else to take on the, the role of being judge. Well, Samuel, he's still a boy. He's still a young, young little, little guy. I, I don't really know how old he is, but I do know that in the scripture, it says that Samuel neither knows the Lord nor his word yet. And Eli, we see, is getting old. He's, he's, very, he's getting to where he's, he's not seeing very well. Um, no visions from the Lord are coming anymore. There's the, the connection between God and judge seems to have ceased. And in a, in a, in a night... Eli lays down to go to sleep. Samuel goes off, he's in bed, and he hears the, a voice crying, Samuel, Samuel. He gets up and he goes to Eli's uh, room and says, I am here. You know, you called? And he says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And this happens three times, and on the third time, Eli starts picking up that, hey, this may be God speaking to Samuel. So he says, go back. And the next time that he calls, answer him and say, here am I, Lord. And then wait to see what God has to say to you. And so Samuel does this. Samuel goes back to bed And sure enough, a fourth time, here comes the call, Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel rises up, here am I, Lord. And this struck me as powerful and humbling is the first word of God to Samuel is a prophecy against the house that has raised him. 
God says the word, the, the spoken word that is gone to Eli about me cutting off his family, I'm holding to true. I'm going to make this come to pass. In one single day, Hophni and Phinehas are going to fall. They're going to die in the same day. And the, the end of your time has come. And 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 so Samuel he's received God's word and he goes he goes to Eli and Eli says hey tell me all that God has spoken to you otherwise may God do unto you more you know the same likewise and more if you don't tell me and so Samuel recounts what he has been told of God. And this is a testament, I believe, to Eli on where he was with God. Eli responds, well, Samuel tells him, hey, I'm cutting off your heritage. Your, your sons are going to die. And, you know, your line's going to be no more. It's, it's done. And Eli's response is, he is Lord. What he desires to do, let it be. He's submitted to God. Even though his sons have been rebellious, have been sinful, have been, of as the, the Bible says, belial or wicked, he is still submitted unto God. Now, as, as this time goes on, um, I don't believe this is, happens much further after. We see the Philistines. The Philistines come up against Israel once more. And they set a ray against Israel. Israel sets an array against, against the Philistines, and they go to battle. And we see that the Philistines kill 4,000 soldiers of Israel, and Israel comes running back, going, oh man, wherefore hath God smitten us today? And then they say, hey, you know what? Let's go fetch the ark, for it will save us. Um, and so they get the ark of the covenant with Hophni and Phinehas to carry it, and they go back to battle. And in that moment, the Philistines slay uh, 30,000 more Israeli soldiers. And they also slay Hophni and Phinehas and take the Ark of the Covenant. In this moment, it's, it, it's, it's a blow to Israel. It's a blow to Israel. And there's a, a soldier from the tribe of Benjamin that comes running back from the battle. The, the Bible describes him as his clothes have been, been, been torn to shreds and he's got earth on his head. So we, we know this guy has been in, in the very midst of the fight. He's been probably beat up pretty bad. And he comes running into Israel, uh, sending out word of what has just happened out on the battlefield. Eli is sitting on, on, a, on a bench, 
and he hears the turmoil going on in the land, and he sends asking, what's the meaning of this cry? The soldier comes before Eli, and he tells him of what has just happened on the battlefield, and he says, and also your sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord is taken. And Eli's heart, it, it's, I find it interesting when, when going through this, this part of Scripture, it seems like the, the word that his sons have passed away, have fallen, doesn't even faze him because God has proclaimed that to him. He knows this is happening. Let the word of God be. But when he hears that the ark of the covenant of the Lord has been lost, he falls off backward off the seat and breaks his neck and dies. In this moment, Samuel becomes the new judge of Israel. I want to take a moment here to, to kind of consider the situation Eli was a man of God, devout, faithful. His sons fell away. And the Bible says that in his son's wickedness, you see, there, there were customs for uh, a 10% of your first fruits, which I, I mentioned earlier, but Hophni and Phinehas were abusing this. You see, how the priesthood lived was if you had you know, your first fruits of your garden, of your meat, whatever, that would go to the priest as their portion to live. But Hophni and Phinehas, they abused that, and they were taking more than what they were supposed to take. And not only that, but they there was a, a seething part of of the ritual of you cooked the meat and then brought it to them. Well, Hophni and Phinehas were saying, hey, give me the meat raw. Give it to me now or else I will take it by force from you to the people. And the Bible says that they were so aggressive on this that it caused the people of Israel to despise the offering of the Lord. In this, can you imagine with me, like put in our mind's eye that we have gotten to a place, they have gotten to a place, I should say, where their actions have caused the people of the Lord to despise giving glory to where glories do and have turned the hearts of the people against God. And so when, when we go and see this point where they, they go up against the battle with the Philistines, it's not God that's going to save us. It's, it's the ark that's going to save us. And they fail because God is not with them. God's presence is there, but he's not supporting what's happening. Samuel 
Um, I believe I'd like to turn to uh, Samuel 7, uh, uh, chapter 7, verse 3 and 6. All right. It says, And Samuel spake unto all the house. Now, this is, this is after they've fallen. The Philistines have gone back to their land. Um, I'm skipping over a, a, a portion here where the Ark of the Covenant wreaks havoc in the Philistine land because God's presence is still there. He's not supporting what the Israelites were doing. But he also ain't going to support the, the symbol of evil that the Philistines were. So here in uh, chapter 7, verse 3, we, we see it says, And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, and put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts, unto the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth, and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizbeth, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizbeth, and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said and and said there we have sinned against the Lord and Samuel judged the children of Israel Israel in Mizbeth so here we see Samuel has been called he's answered from a young man he's been serving the Lord faithfully now he has been raised into being moved into the position of judge over Israel. He's not the king of Israel. He's just a judge. He's a priest. He is the mouthpiece of God. He is the vessel in which God can speak through to the children of Israel. And in this moment, he has turned the hearts of Israel away from the evil that they had been going towards and turn their eyes back on the Lord. The next step we see, the Philistines hear, hey, the children of Israel are in Mizbeth. They're vulnerable. We can go and finish what we started before. Because the Philistines, after being just wrecked by the Ark of the Covenant, by the Lord's presence amongst them, they... They moved the Ark of the Covenant out to one city. They got hit even harder than the Philistines. So they moved the Ark of the Covenant to another place where it still resides. It is not amongst the children of Israel. However, even though the symbol of the presence of the Lord being with Israel is still not with them, the presence of the Lord is with them. They've turned and repented. The Philistines come and set an array against the children of Israel. Now this time, they do it right because someone has answered the call. Someone is standing in the gap, in the place that he needs to be. He's doing it right. They come to Samuel and say, Samuel, 
Samuel, our enemies, the evil is building up over here. They're getting ready to come in and take us out. And the last time we met with these guys, we lost uh, somewhere between thirty or 34,000 of our people. And we lost the Ark of the Covenant to these people. And now they're coming to take us again. Pray on our behalf without ceasing that the Lord may save us. It's no longer something that is superficial will save us. This time they're acknowledging God is going to save us. And so Samuel takes a spotless lamb and makes a burnt offering unto the Lord on Israelites' behalf. The Philistines move in, and this time God answers. There's a loud thunder that goes over the Philistines, and it disturbs them. And the children of the Lord move in, and they smite the Philistines all the way back out of their land. And it says in, this, in the scripture, it, they smite them all the way back until the, uh, the border, basically back into the Philistines' land. But one, one thing I thought was interesting, and, and keep this in, in, your, in your thoughts, is they drove them all the way back to Gath. At the beginning, and we'll get back to this here in a moment, but Goliath is of Gath. Goliath comes from Gath. And the Bible tells us that all the days that Samuel judged Israel, the Philistines never once again came against the children of Israel. Why? There was a, a man that had answered a call. He was staying faithful to God. He was staying faithful to God. However, time goes by and life goes on. Samuel begins to age. And Samuel, too, as, as Eli did, Samuel has sons. And Samuel sets his sons up as judges over Israel similar to Eli did with Hophni and Phinehas. And unfortunately, like Eli's sons, Samuel's sons are not called Belial. They were not wicked in the manner that Hophni and Phinehas were, but they did not judge in the manner of Samuel. They took bribes. They did improper judging, so to speak. And the children of Israel, I mean, you serve what, 20 years, I believe the scripture says, you serve 20 years under a judge that is right with God, serving God faithful. And all of a sudden, someone comes in that's, you can tell the real from the fake. <laughs> and the children of Israel come to Samuel and say, give us a king. Give us a king. And I want to look at uh, some scriptures here. It says, Israel demands a king, and uh, Samuel is discomforted with this. I want to look at 1 Samuel 8, uh, 19 and 20. All right. Um, it says, nevertheless, 
the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. So the people came to Samuel asking for a king. It discomforted him. He went, and I mean, he, it, it really, really bothered him that the people of Israel would ask for a king rather than a judge. And the Lord told Samuel, don't, don't worry. Don't worry, or don't be angry, I should say, because it's not you that they've, they've come against and rejected. It's, it's me. So here it says, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, nay, but we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. I want to really dig into that last scripture. We see God, God tells Samuel, hey, they've not rejected you, they've rejected me. Here, God is the judge. You see, Samuel is just a mouthpiece. He's, he's just a man that's being used. He's a vessel. There's no glory for Samuel, no honor. He's just a man. God is the judge. God is the king of Israel. God is also, I mean, we look, God's the one that wins the battles or chooses to let them lose. Here they're saying, give us a king that we may be like other nations. And this, this man will judge us. This man will go before us and fight our battles for us. Today, in, 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 in modern times, um, it's gone, we've discussed here uh, fairly recently of, of testimonies. And, man, if you guys didn't hear Amber's testimony the other night, you need to look it up on the podcast and listen to it. It was, it was powerful. It was powerful. But there's also... God did an, an awesome work in, in her life and in many of the lives in here. But um, there's sometimes, as, as we get into living for God, it may be, you know, sometimes people will say either, hey, my testimony's not great enough. I need to dabble in some things to grow my testimony, right? And also, there's also a look here that, the Israelites are, are saying it themselves here in, in uh, verse 19. It says, nevertheless, the people refused to obey. And they said, we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations. Man, God didn't choose Israel to be like other nations. God doesn't choose us to be like everyone else. So when we go out into the world, they may say, hey, why do you dress different? You don't look the same. You know, that's, that's weird that you would, you would dress like that. Or why don't you come party with us? Why don't you do these things with us? Oh, it's because I'm not like you. I'm set apart. 
the children of Israel. God had chose them. He had, he had picked them out and said, this is going to be my peculiar people. This is going to be my royal priesthood. This is going to be a chosen generation, and that's what we are. So let's take, a, take note from this and say, hey, I know there's a world full of other nations, but I'm not other nations. I am a peculiar person. I am a chosen generation. I am a royal priesthood. Israel, even though they have gone through this turning and changing of different judges, they miss that. They say, hey, we're going we're gonna to demand us a flesh and blood king. So God says, hey, this is what the people want. I'm going to give it to them. But Samuel, tell them what manner of king is going to rule over them. This guy is going to take your best young men. He's going to take your best young ladies, and he's going to use them for his service. He's going to take, you thought Hophni and Phinehas was bad for taking too much offering from you, forcing it. This guy's going to take of your crops. He's going to use it to feed his armies and run his conquest. He's going, you're going to lose your sons to battle because this guy's going to try to build up himself through conquest. The people reject they demand, give us a king. And so finally, God says, Samuel, I'm going to show you the man that I'm going to choose. And we know that, well, we, we find um, Saul. We know that uh, Saul is going to be the first king of Israel. And where we find him is uh, three, three donkeys of his father have run away. And he's out looking for his, his father's donkeys, and they, they, they basically go, uh, well, let's go to the seer. He, he may help us out. And uh, the seer being Samuel. He's the, he's the prophet, also known as the seer in that day. And so they go and they find Samuel. Um, apparently Saul had never seen Samuel because he walks right up to him and says, hey, man, have you seen the seer? And he goes, uh, yeah, because he is me, uh, Obi-Wan. <laughs> Anyways, uh, side note, non-scripture part. Um, but Samuel says, yeah, he is me. And he says, and Saul doesn't, Saul doesn't even ask get to ask about the donkeys, God says to Samuel, hey, this is going to be the king. And so Samuel, he says, have you seen, have you seen the, uh, the seer? Yeah, this is me, uh, but don't worry about the donkeys you're looking for. I've got something more important. Come hang out at my place for a bit. And so Saul goes and hangs out, or spends the night with, with Samuel, and Samuel pours into Saul of what God has for him. He anoints him with oil. He anoints him as the first king of Israel. Saul goes forth, and the Bible says that when Saul turned his back from Samuel to walk away, God's anointing 
fell on him and changed him to be a different man than he was. Saul is answering the call of the Lord in his life. However, there's also been word of the Lord go forth on what manner of man is going to rule Israel. We see Saul rises up. He goes through and does many battles for different territories. Jonathan, his son, ends up fighting battles, um, killing thousands, including uh, Philistine groups, Philistine armies. However, there comes a point where Saul gets into himself. He begins to fall away from the relationship with God and begins to look at his own successes, if, we, if you will, and, says, you know, and, and seeing where he's at and who he is and making his own decisions apart from the Lord. He goes up against the battle of the Amalekites and instead of slaughtering all, he saves the king of the Amalekites. He spares his life and brings him back. And he also spares the <coughs> excuse me. He also spares the best of the of the spoils. I'm gonna try to it looks like I'm running out of time here. I might have to speed some things up. But he comes in Samuel rebukes him, and he doesn't change. He doesn't repent. He's, I'm the king of Israel. He keeps moving forward. And then we see where we started off. So Saul has started to fall away. There's been a young shepherd boy that's been anointed of the Lord, David. He's called. Similar to Saul, he wasn't a nobody, you know, a little red-headed kid sitting out with stinky sheep, playing with stones and a leather strap. But David was different. And we see the, the Philistines once again the presence of the Lord is starting to change towards the Israelite children because the man that's supposed to be the judge isn't right with God. He's starting to fall away. Rebelliousness is falling in, and, and the Bible even tells us that an evil spirit has started to afflict Saul. The I want to do one quick quick note here, though. If, if Saul was right with God, if he hadn't turned away, if he would have been obedient, something in, in, my, in my study and that just really kind of struck me as interesting is when, when Samuel finds Saul, the Bible describes him as being a shoulder and head width taller than anyone else in the land. Saul is a big dude. He's got experience, years of experience on the battlefield. He's a, he's a bad dude. He's a soldier. 
In fact, so much so that he, he's started to think of himself as, look what I can do. The Philistines set up an array, and they send out this guy named Goliath of Gath. Now, the, the Bible says that Goliath was uh, six cubits and a span. There's all forms of speculation on what that means, other than we know he was a big dude. I mean, the Bible describes his armor, his weaponry. It was heavy stuff. This guy had to been the, the real deal when it comes to someone you don't want to mess with on a battlefield. But I was curious. I said, I was like, what is the average height of, an, of a person in Goliath's time? And so I Googled, you know, all, all faithful Google, I Googled, What's the average height, what was the average height of a person in Goliath's time? And Google says, the first, very first thing that pops up, it says, Goliath would have stood, it, it acknowledges that there's many variations of how many feet and inches or whatever, but it says, Goliath would have stood approximately a shoulder and a head's width taller than the average person. Google just described Goliath as equal to Saul. Now, I don't know. I can't say that's, that's Google. That's not scripture. But God chose a man. God called a man to lead Israel to fight their battles for them. That was fitting to go against the giants that came against them, but because his heart turned against God, because he wasn't right with God, because an evil spirit began to afflict him, he wasn't trusting in the Lord God Almighty. He was trusting in himself, and he sees, even if the guy, even if Saul would have been the same height as Goliath, he sees Goliath as an opponent he cannot beat. He cannot win against this guy. Even though he's got many years of experience, he's sitting in his tent saying, well, is there anybody else? And here comes a little boy. Now, it, teenager, in contrast, right? I mean, you're talking about a guy that stands a shoulder and head width taller than anyone else in, in, in Israel. Well, no wonder Dad, David couldn't fit into his armor. <laughs> I mean, you, you send this youth, and Goliath even mocks him. He's like, dude, you're scrawny. You're telling me that there's a kid up there, or a guy up there that's my size that is afraid to come down and fight, and you send me a kid? Man. But being right with God is the whole, the whole difference. To, to answer the call of the Lord. Is, is where it's at. And so David comes up, and he's, he's like, y'all. But the heart of the army was after the heart of the king. So it took a call of a young shepherd boy to step in and say, hey, I know there's trouble in the land. There's things that aren't right here. I may die today, 
but I'm going down into that valley in the name of the Lord. Excuse me. And I'm going to win against this giant because it's not because I've got experience. It's not because I've got a, a fancy sword, fancy gadgets. I'm going against this giant in the name of the Lord, and I'm going to win. David answered the call. David answered the call. And yes, we know David's future. He sinned against God multiple times. But the reason that David is called a man after God's own heart is because unlike all those other men in his, the past, when they sinned, they were like, I've done it. Oh, well, I'm, I'm going to keep on cruising my sin. David's heart, after David being a man after God's own heart, is because he knew that, hey, I messed up. I need to repent. I need to go and find the man of God and say, hey, I need to be right. I need to be right. I'm going to wrap up here with just two more short, quick points. In, in my study, this is stepping away from Samuel and David and Goliath and Saul. But in my studies of who will answer the call or give me a man, because God is doing that same call of giving me a man. I read Job. And I've read the story of Job so many times, I can't tell you. I've heard it preached probably way more than I've read it, being honest. But this time, going through the story of Job, hit a little bit different. It may be because I'm a dad now. Um, it may be because God's speaking to me. But let's put ourselves in Job's shoes for just a split moment here. Job was a servant of God. He prayed, he worshiped, he sacrificed unto God. He, he, he prayed for his children, even though his children were off in a house partying and celebrating, doing their thing. He said, hey, just in case if, if they speak evil towards the Lord, I'm going to sacrifice for them. And within a span of, I believe it had to have been just minutes that servants came and said, hey, you just lost your herd of cattle. You just lost your, your, your fields of wheat. You've lost this. You've lost this. And then the, the final servant comes up and says, the winds blew from each corner and hit the house and the house falls down and your children are dead. The overwhelming emotion that that would have been. I can't even imagine being in that position of, hey, literally every single thing that you have, have invested in your entire life is gone in a moment. Say for a handful of servants and your wife. And Job's reaction is to fall on his face 
and worship the Lord. To worship the Lord and say, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. My final scripture for today is John 5, 23 and 24. This was Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. And he says that he's come that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father, that he may endure. Uh, honoreth not the Son. What is that? Let me come over here because that is, I can't read that. <laughs> that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed. I must have given you the wrong scripture verse, bro. But basically, Jesus says he's looking for true worshipers there. If I, if I would have given the correct scripture verse <laughs> but Jesus says hey I'm here now that the true worshipers will be called unto me I'm looking for a true worshiper so today this morning as I close who amongst us is going to answer the call to the Lord who amongst us is going to say hey I'm going to be a true worshiper even when all of the bets are down. I'm going to still stand and say, hey, I may lose everything, but I'm still going to worship the Lord. Oh, Jesus, let's, let's take a moment to pray.